Hi everybody, my name's Chris and you are listening to the Always Be Watching podcast. I'm joined by my associate, Dan Barrett. How are you, Dan? Look, I'm doing super. Fantastic, even. Excellent. I'm, did, I'm excited to be here. How did I go with my introduction? Look, you did just fine. Say that maybe the one thing we need to do is tell people what the reason of this podcast existing is. You can tell me while we're at it because uh, I'm at a bit of a loss. Look, we're here to talk about TV. Right. It's what we do. Yes. The general vibe we try to get here is when you're... You're down at the shipyard, mm-hmm. and you're there talking to your fellow mates at building ships and... The wharfies. The wharfies. Yep. Okay, and you're like, hey, Bruce. <laughs> what have you been watching? What have you been watching on TV lately? A uh, bit of Downton Abbey. Yeah, exactly. So when you're all down tools... Yep. And you're talking about the Downton you've been watching, the yep. uh, current arc on Home and Away... Yep. This is what this podcast is really sort of bringing in. And Excellent. that's why we dressed in the way that we are, with Excellent. hard hats and singlets. Oh, that's not the reason I thought we would dress that way. But uh, anyway, maybe that's uh, just me. Um, it's been a massive week for things to watch, as it always is. Yes, sir. There's more television than ever before. A few movies as well. Yeah, a couple of those. Actually, we've got like a 50-50 split this week, I think. I think so. Yeah, we're looking a little bit that way. But um, let's just get cracking. What do you say? Yeah, all right. Uh, okay. Chris. What have you been watching? All right, I'm glad you asked, Dan, because that was is the point of the um, podcast. I have been watching a- down, down at the shipbuilding yards. <laughs> I have been watching. This would go down awesomely at the shipyards. Uh, I've been watching uh, the Spy. Chris, tell me what is the Spy? The Spy is an English language French espionage thriller television miniseries written and directed by Israeli director Gideon Raff and Max Perry, based on the life of Israel's top Mossad spy Eli Cohen in Syria, portrayed by Sasha Baron Cohen. Now, is it directed by Gideon Raff or is it just created by? Oh, God, I just. As Gideon Raff is a writer, Chris. How much. Yeah, uh, directed by Gideon Raff. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, he may be a writer director, so people who don't know Gideon Raff. And I'd be surprised if anyone doesn't. <laughs> I was going to say, like this guy. Uh, he created a show called, uh, I can't think of the actual original sort of Israeli, but it was also termed in English language as Prisoners of War. Ah. And that was adapted by the US into a show called Homeland. Oh, So if you watch the first episode or two of Homeland, it echoes a lot of what was happening in Prisoners of War and then breaks away from the format quite a bit. But it, like the... DNA, the framework of Prisons of War, is very much felt through Homeland. Excellent. Uh, I've got to say, straight away, I was unbelievably disappointed by this show. Because, <laughs> no, no, not at all. But, um, uh, you know, it's obviously not the... I'm a very big fan of Sasha Baron Cohen um, being stupid and funny. And my wife! <laughs> saying my wife, etc. Let's try to work out a way to work that in there a bit better. Um, the oft... <laughs> a bit better. <laughs> Are you saying it wasn't seamless the sorry, way I... Sorry, yes. Whatever. Um, the, uh, and, you know, obviously he's created a bunch of... Like, Iconic characters whose um, catchphrases have entered the lexicon in very annoying ways, as just demonstrated by my partner Dan. Um, my wife. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so I had to ask Dan, but this—you were saying that this is um, Sasha's first uh, serious role. Oh, look, I'm the biographer of Sasha Baron Cohen, <laughs> as as your role of bio, as biographer. <laughs> yes, uh, but I mean, I'll take that role for this here podcast. Excellent. So, my understanding was that Bohemian Rhapsody. The film that just came right. out recently, he was signed up for that and he was going to play the Freddie Mercury role. He had a bit of a falling out with the band because they didn't like the direction that he wanted to take things. Right. And instead they chose to do something which was maybe a little less than truthful to the Freddie Mercury story. <laughs> what are you saying? No, oh, I think we all know what I'm saying. Anyway, so he left that project, but my understanding was like he really saw that as the opportunity to come out as the actor that he's been wanting to 
you know, be. But this looks like it's an opportunity to do some serious, uh, like, espionage spy stuff. Well, interestingly, yeah, you could say that, I guess, he has been doing serious acting for a long time in so far as how much he manages to convince people in the real world that he's actually um, a very different character to what he is in real life. Uh, so maybe he's got it down pat there. But, um, yeah, so, look, I've only watched one episode. It's a six-part uh, miniseries. It's an actual miniseries? Yeah, yeah, apparently so. And um, it is based, uh, as we said, on the real-life events. I'm not sure. I thought it was based on a book of the real-life events, but maybe that's um, I mean, either way. as well. But look, you know, he's pretty good in it. I was, he was very believable uh, as, a, uh, as, as this uh, man who becomes a spy due to his love of the country and uh, all those kind of things. Um, politically, I'm not really across this era of uh, international <laughs> politics at all, so it's all a little bit... Uh, it's all... It's it's all very educational and listening uh, and learning experience watching it. Um, Sorry, when's it set? It's set in the uh, 1967 conflict between Israel and Syria. So it's got this beautiful, the actual um, way that the, I don't usually notice this kind of stuff so much unless it's really obvious, which I guess it probably is in this, but the, you know, colour grading or whatever they do is just beautiful and fantastic. All the outdoor stuff um is very washed out and, um, you know, it looks like it has that sort of awesome uh, nostalgic feel of, like, photographs from the 60s and then the inside is quite vibrant and bright. It's really cool the way they've kind of mixed those two visual styles together. The um, I feel like you're about to tell me why they've done that. or No, I was actually going to ask. So this is a spy espionage drama. When I'm thinking about spy and espionage stuff, the sort of... Genre things I've been watching lately is like the John Le Carre sort of yeah, um, yeah, spy yeah. stuff. Is this a very similar kind of a thing well, or is it a different type of spy? Like what's the uh, general seems, approach to genre? Look, it's pretty generic as far as the first, the setup goes. It's the kind of, you know, the sort of how does the everyman become entangled into this spy world and um, how is he approached and how does he use, you know, how does he work that into his uh, life, you know? What, but what sort of approach to spy spy craft is that? Is it very much the, you know, we're going to do sort of uh, drops around the place or is it more the actual, like, you know, gunfight sort of? No, like, I'm not that into it yet, but I think it's very much more infiltrating the political elite and getting involved in the society in that way. And okay. that seems to be the, um, that seems to be kind of the setup. Like, he's a very uh, serious character and, which is fun to watch. And also, um, it's 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 more of a uh, at, at least at this point it seems to be setting itself up to be a little bit more intellectual as opposed to um, action packed for better or worse as they would say. Um, one uh, thing that I found quite confronting about it was a sex scene, um, which just really I don't I don't know what it is about sex scenes in stuff these days, but as it, a puritan, as a puritan, I find <laughs> it really offensive. It, as like. And the guy, as as somebody who's seen a very a large amount of Sasha Baron Cohen's naked body in various other films, seeing it seeing it in this context really kind of took them took took me back a few steps. Um, it wasn't gratuitous or anything, but it was pretty weird. But it was still erotically pleasing. It was, it was too, I guess. So maybe, um, yeah. Hmm, I don't know. I, I think we found a different purpose for this podcast. <laughs> I think it was, I think confronting is how I felt it. Anyway, I, it, it just seemed to take it into a bit of a little. Uh, it, it got a little farcical with that. But look, uh, that's what you have to do in these kind of things. I realize that, and I think it is very much playing that sort of. It's it's not 
you know, it's a pretty it's a pretty genre specific kind of thing. So it seemed to be, um, you know, that seems to be a part of that kind of thing. Uh, as a Puritan, I find it offensive. But yeah, the human body. It's not for me. <laughs> Ugh, it's disgusting. Keep your clothes on, um, Borat. But yeah, no, anyway. I always found Borat sexier when he kept his clothes on. Uh, I'm definitely going to watch it. It's great. I'm going to watch more of it and figure out what's going on. And not just because it's a bit of a, uh, not because there's a bit of a lull in Netflix uh, at the moment. And um, yeah. Anyway, uh, do you, uh, what what was your vibe on what you've seen about it? Were you inspired to watch it? Look, I've been pretty interested in watching this, mostly because I'm one of the few people that actually watch Prisoners of War, and like I was sure from that sort of yeah. yeah. So I'm really quite keen on seeing what Gideon Ruff's done here with a bigger budget, because Prisoners of Raw, uh, Prisoners of Raw, that's another one of these nudie things. <laughs> Prisoners of War, uh, it's a very uh, it's very low budget. Sure, it's yeah. a budget affair. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. well, this is like a big budget. It's yeah, very obviously money. a big budget. Um, you know, and and having that period element to it, of course, is very expensive i imagine yeah i'm keen to give it a look so i just haven't had a chance yet it's been a busy few weeks it has that's the spy it's on netflix uh i think i think it's an it's a netflix show right yes yeah. netflix original hmm. uh dan i would like to ask you i know you've dying to tell me what you've been watching what have <laughs> oh, you boy. been watching now chris can i tell you a show and let me know let me know if this seems like something that you might be interested in all right i will 10 strangers wake up on a beach a tropical deserted beach they find out there are mysteries on this island that they're on, and they don't know what's going on. So they need to find out. I've seen it. I love it. it was yeah, JJ, the Spider, uh, the Star Wars guy's greatest ever TV show. It's fantastic. Lost. That's right. Felicity. Oh wait, no, Lost. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, cool. That's great. Uh, moving on. Yeah. Um, oh wait, no, that isn't oh, the show oh, we're talking oh, about. Oh what? This is a show with the exact same premise. <laughs> like, I knew you were getting... I only saw this yesterday advertised, and I just was like, what? Yeah, exactly. It's what? called The Island, because <laughs> it's on an island, but it's about people who are a bit self-obsessed. So, it's The I-Land. I, I totally... I absolutely get it. <laughs> the logline is this. When 10 people wake up on a treacherous island with no memory of who they are or how they got there, they set off on a trek to get back home, only to discover the world is not as it seems. Now, I suspect that after you get past this first episode, they probably get off the island and find the world actually is not as they like believe it should be. Oh, right. I suspect, but look, I reached the end of the first episode. There's not a strong chance of me making it through <laughs> the second episode. Uh, who's in it? It must be a star-studded cast. Oh, look, strap yourself in. When the biggest star that you have is Kate Bosworth. Ah. You remember Kate Bosworth from Blue Crush and played Lois Lane in the Superman Returns movie from 2005? Yeah. Oh, that Kate Bosworth. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Mm. Uh, outside of that, there's probably some faces you might have seen in other things, but there's no rules. I, I guarantee you I haven't seen any of them in anything. Uh, there are a few people that do one or two episodes that you know who they are. So, for example, uh, Margaret Collins in there. You remember her as the wife of... Uh, Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day. Oof. Was it really? Goldblum's wife? Oh, I can't God. remember. It's been a while since I've seen the ID4. Yeah. Yeah. No. Me, no. <laughs> no. Anyway. Uh, so this show's rough. Uh, basically, all of the performance... So remember the first two-hour breakout like episode of Lost and you get to be introduced to all the characters. It was amazing. You're generally interested to know what the mysteries are on Absolutely. the island. Absolutely. Compelling. The, pro- the problem with the show is, is that they've got such an obvious thing that they've ripped off. Like, there's no Have way... they really ripped it off? Like, like, there is no way you could look at this saying that Lost didn't enter their mind at some point. Yeah. Okay, even if it had started from a... Like, they've reverse-engineered the thing where they knew where the show wanted to go and took it back to starting out on this island. 
Okay, which might be what happens in a show again. I'm not going to find out. But even if they reverse engineered it, you'd have to think that if they know they're setting the entire first episode as a thing where people wake up on a <laughs> tropical island with mysteries to be solved. Yeah. Okay, that, you know, people may start to think of Lost and maybe you need to rethink that slightly. But- <laughs> I was just going to say, but, but when um, people made... But did J.J. Abrams have Gilligan's Island in his mind when he when he made the first Lost? Look, when Lost first started, there were lots of Gilligan's Island jokes. There was, actually, yeah. There was a fair bit of that going on. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the show obviously wasn't Gilligan's Island. How good was Lost at the start, though? It was so good. It was good. fantastic. I mean, Lost, I think, sort of held it for most of its run. Yeah. It- like, I think we all had some issues with how the show sort of wound out at the end. Yes. But for most of its run, like, there was nothing as gripping, as exciting as Lost was. It was very, very good. Yeah, I mean, the two of us, like, I think we were big Lost heads at the time. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Were you still there for the series finale, or did you move Melbourne by that point? No, like, but you know what's stupid? I think I dro- the I- final episode, I actually staged a screening of it in a Brisbane cinema. Yeah, no, I was no longer in Brisbane at that point. Yeah. But I also... um didn't watch it. I think like halfway through the last season, I was just like, nah, I've had it. Did you reach the episode with Alice and Janney giving birth to I the spirits even, that run the island? No, no. I didn't even care. I just got, I got like so jaded by it by the end, which was a shame. Yeah. The last couple of episodes of that show. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible stuff. And you chose to screen at a cinema. Good decision. Yeah. How'd that go? Really well. I had a great time. <laughs> How was the turnout? Uh, it was pretty decent. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. So anyway... So you got this thing which is completely just like Lost. But if you remember when you watched the pilot episode of Lost, mm-hmm. you're introduced to all these characters. You're kind of interested in who the characters are. Absolutely. Because in that first episode, it wasn't all the backstory, but rather you just saw some flashbacks to the plane. Yeah, 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 that's okay. right. So it wasn't as though like suddenly it's like, oh, you know, we finally found out how Jack's got his tattoo. Like you don't find that out in the first no, episode. No, no, no. But really you're just being introduced to the characters as you wouldn't like through any other pilot. But you were interested to know who the characters were. They had a sense of charisma. There was a whole bunch of them that you were really curious to know, oh, where do these guys come from? You want to see how things are going to play out for them. And you're interested in what the actual mysteries are. It's like, oh, there's a polar bear. That's kind of weird. Okay, whereas in this, it's like, oh, let's go for a swim. Oh, where did these sharks come from? I think, that, and I think there was some stuff introduced really early. And I think this is something that obviously J.J. Abrams has become quite good at, or it's like a trademark thing, at least where it's kind of jumping into the story at a point where there is a lot of unanswered questions. And yeah, well, you, he you plays know, with what they call the mystery box a fair bit. Yeah, yeah. So you sort of start with this thing where it's like everything's already going, and you kind of like it's like tuning into something halfway through, and you're like, oh, I've missed. Something. I, they refer to that as being in media res. Hmm, righto. Yeah. Um, but I like that anyway. But I like that anyway, and that was obviously what was going on there. Yeah. It worked very, very well. Yes. Well, it was kind of the crux of the whole show, really, especially when you think about the flashback, how important the flashbacks became to it. Anyway, we're not talking about Lost. No, we're not. So, if people know the work of Neil Laboot, he is the gentleman who has both written and directed the first episode and wrote a whole bunch of the first season. It's It's just... Like, I don't want to say it's no good because it's not quite that. It's just, it is just content. So in the way that (laughs) I actually kind of like that every couple of years, like a few shows come along that are just, look, they're kind of like just cheesy nonsense, but you kind of get into it a little bit. And like the, I don't like the phrase guilty pleasure because no no show should ever really be a guilty pleasure. It should just be pleasure. Yes. Okay. And you don't need to hide that you're watching a TV show because it's just TV. Yeah. 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 It's not like the bodies you've got in your basement. No, there's nothing to be proud of watching TV on any scale. So (laughs) let alone, there's nothing to be guilty about either. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's just TV. 
and that's cool. But, like, you know, there's a few shows where it's like you're not necessarily proud that you're watching it. Like, you're not sitting back going, oh, that was a well-crafted hour of television. Good on me for making this choice this evening. But rather, it's just like, you know what? I had a great fucking time with that show. <laughs> I don't think I've ever felt that way. Except for last night when I was watching Peep Show for the Peep Show Season 6, Episode 5, for the 7,000th time. I was like, good decision. If you'd stuck to the last episode of Lost, Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, but anyway, point. The Island... How many episodes of The Island are there ahead of us? I'm going to say that there are maybe seven, eight episodes or what? Yeah. Yeah, so I haven't really done the math on it myself, but I'm told it takes about five hours to watch the whole thing. Seems like a long time. If you're bored and or stoned on a Sunday afternoon and you're on the couch, like, you know, it's probably fine. (laughs) It's not really, it's not ideal. There are much better things going on right now TV-wise. Uh, okay. So yeah. how would we see The Island? Uh, it is on a thing called The Netflix. Ah, also on The Netflix. Yeah, so give that a look if you dare. It's an American Netflix show? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Chris, sure. why not? what have you been watching? Uh, okay, so I'm just going to... Think, I think I know what we're doing here. I think I'm going to talk about something I, br- I briefly touched on um, last or a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned that it was, I, it was in last week's episode was it last week's episode mm. that I had you would remember that from last Tuesday when we recorded that episode of course of course yes uh, and how I uh, had never ever seen The Matrix a film people have heard of it indeed um, but what I'm curious about Chris is have you watched The Matrix 2 or 3 and or The Animatrix <laughs> well interestingly I haven't taken your advice and watched The Animatrix only because it wasn't right in front of me big mistake easy to watch uh, which I will get to, um, but I just wanted to quickly, if you will, uh, let me um, share my my erudite opinions on um, The Matrix 2 and The Matrix 3, which aren't called that even, are they? No, I will not allow this. I think one is called Reloaded and one is called Revolutions. Is this correct? Uh, you're the one that's watching right. this. Yeah, yeah, true. You're I bringing the stories to the table. And so uh, what, what I found fascinating is that, um, you know, I watched the, the, so the things that really blew me away about the first Matrix film were the combination of real effects or uh, practical effects and computer-generated imagery, which, of course, was uh, in, in, in its um, infancy of the modern era. Please tell me the second one gets rid of all those terrible practical effects and leans completely <laughs> on the computer. Oh, you've, you've, you've seen it then. Um I've got to tell you, the second one was just abysmal. It was so hard to watch. I, I, I almost didn't make it through the whole thing. I kind of had to like, I ended up like, you know, even reading a little bit while it was on, which I don't tend to normally do. I kind of like to just do one reading. thing at a time. Were uh, you reading things about The Matrix or did you pick up like a copy of Moby Dick? That's pretty much around? was like, God, there's got to be something better to do in this time. <laughs> and then it's just like, did you think about watching The Island? <laughs> it's kind of like watching somebody play a video game, but the video game is just like, incredibly boring to watch even like I know people do do that these days and watch video games uh, it's almost hard to sort of think about so there's this scene I guess what they were trying to do because this is the other thing that's fascinating to me because as far as I know they're all all three are written directed by the Wachowskis they so like there wasn't there shouldn't have been such a massive shift in the quality of the second one but I really feel like there was and I think it, it comes down to from my own little observations were I think it was trying to tell a part of the story that just doesn't matter. So I was trying to like get get into this like you know the idea that like 
from the one of the unanswered questions, I guess, from the first Matrix, which I'll call the Matrix One, um, was that you know there, there was kind of like it, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of motivation to actually disconnect from the Matrix and live as a real person. It seemed like a pretty grim kind of life of like scurrying around the fringes of this you know decrepit. Uh, disgusting world. But as we find out from number two, there's raves. <laughs> That's right. So they were like, what could make this whole world? Why would people actually want to be here? It's because there's giant rave orgies, which, um, of course, appealing, certainly. Mm. Um, oh, it would be a nice escape from my, the mundanity of my life were I not such a Puritan to, to get involved <laughs> in such uh, activities. Um, but anyway, once you get past that, then the whole rest of it's just like heaps of Hugo Weavings trying to like chase down um uh what's his name keanu and it's just god it was such a chore to get through so imagine my surprise when i watch the matrix uh three uh which i think is called the matrix again uh and it was the matrix down under <laughs> it was fantastic it's it, it's like a total it's like this complete sci-fi war film it takes well, most of it's cues from like aliens. It's um, I mean, derivative of it even to a degree, but not in a way that actually I, f- I felt like hurt the story or detracted from the story. Uh, it's actually got that. I mean, the only thing I would say that in its negative, which actually worked really well anyway, was that it's hardly got any Keanu in it. I wasn't, I didn't realize that was going to happen. But there's kind of like a whole almost. It's at least an hour in the middle of the film where you just don't even see him because he's running around doing something in the Matrix. And then it's like, oh, that's right. He's still there. Or, or is he in the Matrix? It all gets very confusing. But, um, yes, the third one was compelling, exciting, real awesome action kind of war film um, that, again, felt like just so disconnected from the second one that it was really hard to kind of uh, imagine that they all came from the same um, kind of place, and so then my theory with that. Yeah, sorry, can I interrupt my theory or uh, please? Uh, well, I guess the only other thing I was going to say is it does kind of pull back to it in the end. The, the sort of last scene is very uh, is is very um, you know iconic of the series as well. And there's like millions of Hugo Weavings all, and and it, and there's another kung fu scene there which you haven't really seen much of in the third film. So it was great to get that little bookend on it. Um, but otherwise, yeah, completely different. But yes, I'd love to hear why you think it's so different. So, my theory was that the Wachowskis had made one film before that started on the Matrix stuff. So, they've got Bound. Yes. Which we were talking about the other week. Yeah, which like, is a great you know, film. Great film. you got The Matrix, which again, another solid outing. But they hadn't really... Like, obviously, The Matrix was a big undertaking production-wise. They were accomplishing some stuff on screen that had never been accomplished before. Yes. But in terms of the scale of the movie, like, while it's big in ideas and some of the technology being used, it's not like it's a big film in the way that we know them as today. Absolutely. That was one of the things that surprised me about it, is that it actually felt like a, it actually felt like a film, you know, like it's, it felt like a film from the 80s or something, where it actually had some boundaries and it actually had some. But with the two follow-up films, that's where essentially it was like, well, The Matrix made so much money. It had such a massive fan following behind it. Because after the release of The Matrix, because bear in mind 1999 when it came out. Yes. Same year that there was a little film called Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Right. So Star Ah, Wars was very very much in people's minds. Yes. And so because of that, there was lots of people who were like, you know what, Star Wars sucked. But The Matrix was amazing. Right. Could The Matrix and these amazing sequels we've heard is in the pipeline now... Could these effectively be the new Star Wars? So the nerd culture of the time were looking at these Matrix films as being the films that defined the modern era. Like, this is the films we're going to be talking about for years to come. So there was a lot of pressure being placed on the um, world building, the epic nature of these follow-up films. And they're both being produced back-to-back. 
in order to save some money because they're going to be very big in scope. I remember a lot of conversation about the... There's a sequence involving a car chase, like it's on like a large bridge or something. Yeah, yeah, and there's yeah. Lots of trucks in the involved second and stuff. one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my understanding was that was the huge set piece. Right. And they were going to bring a lot of bullet time to a car chase sequence. Yeah. I haven't seen it back since uh, like 2002. Like, it was. I mean, it's just, I mean, now especially just as like, who cares? Yeah. But like that was right. seen as like this real sort of epic thing they were like bringing to the screen. Sure. And so my thought thinking is that you got these two filmmakers who weren't that well developed in terms of cr- their craft. Okay, of whom yep. are suddenly on their third film creating what's expected, like global expectations yeah, yeah, of yeah. being one of the biggest, most exciting films of all time. And they know that it needs to turn into like this trilogy, so they're probably looking at Star Wars as the basis for that, yeah. which is fairly big film. Second one have a bit more of a character development bridging type film and then like blow people over the third film. And I just kind of feel that like, maybe their craft wasn't really quite where it needed to be at that hmm. stage yet. And I feel like I've seen Wachowski films after that. Like I think they're incredible filmmakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just think they disappointed people in the second one because I think maybe the scope of it and the uh, scale of ambition that they had wasn't sure. really quite up to what they were able to really achieve at that stage. Was it considered disappointing at the time? Like, I, I don't know. No, it, it was. It was, yeah, yeah, right. Because I just sort of, I guess I just remember the kind of hype and the, you know, the sort of, because um, it, it really does, it pales in comparison to the fir- to the first one. So it was such mm. a, like, I mean, I wouldn't have even um, probably bothered with the third. It was so kind of lackluster, but then um, my life is boring. So I, so, <laughs> I decided, so I went there and, but yeah, and as I say, very, very glad I did. And I think like, it wasn't just aliens. There's a lot of like they're troping on a lot of like cool old sci-fi stuff and and war films, and it really had that. Um, it really had a great a great feel because of that. So yeah, I'm keen to watch all three very soon. I've been meaning to do it the last week or two now. Yeah, I, I would highly recommend even watching. I mean, it's it's as, as an as a curio, you know, the second one's really really interesting, and especially for those sort of reasons, and because it's from that time. But it was just like it just yes, nowhere near in the same league as the other two. So there you go. Yeah. Nobody asked, but I told everybody what I thought of the Matrixes. And that is what this here podcast is all about. <laughs> um, now, I think we're going to mix it up a bit, aren't we? I'm being the host now. So how about uh, we mix it up a little bit this time? Or are we not mixing it up this time? Are you just going to ask me what I've been watching? Oh, right. I'm getting confused. Uh, okay. <laughs> I know where it's 20 minutes into this podcast, Chris. Past your bedtime. It's much, much, very much past my bedtime. All right, Dan. I'm just going to ask you. Yeah, okay. What are you going to ask me? Um... What <laughs> what have you been watching? So, Chris, much in the same way that you were disappointed by The Matrix 2, yes. I went to get disappointed in the cinemas myself and saw something called It Chapter 2. Chris Yates, you, I'm sure, watched the original 1990 TV miniseries It. I absolutely did. I uh, loved it. I was a very big Stephen King fan at the time in my mm. high school years, um, which I later, you know, kind of... I think everybody kind of goes through a Stephen King phase. Um, I'm a bit back into it, but to be honest, he's a pretty good writer. Lots of people are. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, he wrote a lot. Those first four books he wrote on like some coke bender, apparently. They're just amazing. <laughs> um, so, yes, I was very excited. It was a big event. It wasn't so much a TV event. I think it was more of a VHS event. Oh, definitely. Um, so, I don't think we got it on TV in Australia originally. No. I may have had since then, but... Like it really it was everyone watching it on video. Yeah, that's what, I the remember local. the big the big ass box with the with the tapes. two tapes. Yes, oh, yeah. What part one and part two? Good days, good times. So it came out in 1990. I would watch it as a 10, maybe going on to 11 year old whenever it came out on yeah. video here. That's too young to be watching. That. <laughs> it kind of explains a lot about what's happened to you, really. <laughs> Why well, keep on looking in drains every time I walk <laughs> yeah, past. Yeah, yeah. But this is the thing. So there was something so evocative about the miniseries, particularly the first part of the miniseries, not so much the second part. 
But Tim Curry, he was incredible as Pennywise the Clown. Absolutely, yes. Incre- like, so creepy, just excellent. Yeah, like there's as great as all the other Tim Curry performances are, like in Earth 2, for example. <laughs> like there's just nothing that really quite sort of met what he achieved on that. And like he was generally just a really creepy, just memorable movie villain, Absolutely, even though it was a TV yes. show. Yes. Like it's one of the greats as far as I'm concerned. Yes. There was something about his performance as Pennywise, which is so creepy compared with just like the grounded reality of what was happening in it, that as a 10, 11 year old, it freaked the bejesus out oh, of me. Yes, I can't imagine. <laughs> I'm scared the hell out of me. And I was like, yeah, yeah you know. Uh, I remember as a like maybe 19, 20 year old, I rented out it, having not seen it since I was a kid. And I'm like, surely this can't still hold up. I watched it like one in the morning. And my God, it still creeped the hell out of me. Yeah, yeah. It's very good. Uh, and I'm sure I've come back to it a few. Like, I know it came out on DVD at one point and I watched it then. So we should watch it again, actually. In 2000s. Let's do that. Yeah, totally. Excellent. Um, but like, it still holds up as far as I'm concerned. So when I went and saw it, chapter one, I was, first of all, I saw it in like the worst screening of all time. Right. We saw it on Saturday afternoon, which I try not to go to movies that late in the day. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. No, but really I don't because if I go for a session or two, there's never anyone else in the cinema. It's just me. Yeah, right. But I made the mistake of going, and this really got embedded by the screening of it, it chapter one, because there was nothing but maybe like 15 year old kids who were running around the theater, taking selfies with each other oh through the movie. And Teenagers, the it was, worst. It was absolutely the worst. <laughs> so bad. And of course, no like cinema ushers, all of two years their senior, no, came in them. to do anything. They're not going to tell them to stop. They yeah. don't care. They're not getting paid enough to care. Exactly. They're paid like $14 an hour. They don't care. <laughs> so anyway, cuts me having a terrible time with that movie. So this was for It Chapter it 1. It Chapter 1. Right. But you and still enjoyed it. My big takeaway was that I kind of liked it. Yeah. Okay. My issue was that the Pennywise, as good as the Skarsgård that stars at a Bill Skarsgård, I believe. One of the Skarsgårds. As good as he was, as good as the kid cast was... I just kind of didn't quite have the same resonance as the TV miniseries. Sure. Okay, purely because I kind of felt they sort of gussied it up a little bit too much. Like, it's a lot more cinematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it should be. But there was something about the stark reality of the miniseries where they didn't really have a budget. It was really just this creepy-ass clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like, that's, you know, it just kind of felt a bit more real. So I sort of thought, well, it's a bit glossier, whatever. And the thing with the miniseries was that the part where they're all adults coming back to Derry and fighting it as adults... Like, that's never the most interesting part of it. It's no, always no, more interesting yeah. when it's kids confronted with, like, this big scary clown thing. Yes. Like, as opposed to, you know, adults of whom should know better, but are just dealing with childhood trauma. Yes. But I guess what, and, like, it's got the same problems as the second part of the TV miniseries. But it just kind of felt like it was so overly Hollywood gussied up. Yeah, right. Like, none of it really just, like, landed for me. And, like, there's aspects of the film that are really good. Okay, like Bill Hader is in it, and like yeah, he's anything with Bill Hader in it is actually really engaging. Yeah, sure. Okay, but there's sort of aspects, so this is probably a bit spoilery if you don't really know it, but like there's been a book, there's a miniseries, like Get over people it. should be across it by now. Okay, so you've got the Beverly character who's like the girl, like this is what I think is just kind of emblematic as to what doesn't really Sure, sure. Now. So you've got this character of Beverly who's the girl in the group. When we see her in the second part of it, she's as part of like this abusive relationship she's been in. So she grew up as like a young girl with a father who was kind of abusive to her and definitely sort of psychologically scarring and goes as an adult to like this other like abusive relationship. 
there's nothing in the film that really sort of paints as to how it is that she's allowed herself to be in this. Because in the first, it like, chapter one, it's supposed to be a bit of an empowering thing where all these kids yeah, come yeah, to terms yeah, with their yeah. fears and they're better people for having gone through the experience even though they've been through something sort of deeply traumatic. Yes. Okay, so ultimately, when Fair. they come to it in the second part, any trauma that they're dealing with should be related to what they've gone through as kids. But any growth they did from that experience should also resonate through to the second part. But in the second part, like, she's just dealing with this abusive relationship and there's nothing else really happening with her as a character. Like, you don't yeah, really right. understand how it is that someone goes from a position of strength to allowing themselves to fall into that position again. And that does happen in real life as well. Of People course, go from yeah. abusive relationship to abusive relationship, regardless of, like, how strong they are at the time. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It happens. But there should be some sort of reason that they give on screen, even if it's a passing thing where you just kind of understand what's happening without them having, like, a long monologue about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You should still understand how the character got to where they are and why it is that they're currently going through that. Totally. But We're nothing. trying to go along with this character and, the, and, not, and a journey like no and character, stuff. though. Like, yeah, she's right. just kind of... You see this one scene with the boyfriend or husband or whatever he is at the time, and then after that, she's just, you know, grown-up lady who's hanging out with the other grown-ups who are dealing mm. with stuff. Like, that's kind of it. Like, there's just nothing. And for a film that goes for two and a half hours, if yes. not getting close to three hours... Oh, my God. You could fit the original miniseries in the, with all the character development that happens through that. Both parts one and two can fit into chapter two of this wow. movie. Yeah, yeah. There's just kind of nothing going on. And it was just incredibly disappointing to walk out of that theatre because there's so much potential here. But, like, it was just sort of set piece on top of set piece with no resonance or payoff. Are they deliberately returning to the source material? Are they deliberately returning to the novel to kind of, like, differentiate things from I the mean, miniseries? Or are like, they basing it on the miniseries? Obviously, it's based on the novel. So, yeah. I don't think I've really had much of the miniseries in mind. But I'm sure they've seen the miniseries. You would have, stuff have to have have watched it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm sure that's, interesting. I'm sure that's a thing. And, like, even in interviews, like, Bill Hader will talk about, like... Tim Curry and yeah, that sort of yeah. thing. Like, you know, it's it's part of the mythology of it that there's this miniseries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it's still well-remembered and well-regarded. So, yeah. you know, it's always got to be present. But it's very much based off the book. But the book also has a lot of uh, detours it takes to talk about the history of the town, which yeah, is Derry. Yeah, uh, Derry, not to be confused with Derry Girls. <laughs> yes. Different Derry. Different Derry. Uh, yeah, like, it's a different town. Uh, it's... They go into the town, they explore the town, the history of it, Pennywise's influence on the town over yep. the many years, if not decades, and a century or so. Like, there's definitely world building that takes place that in two and a half hours in the film, they could maybe touch on a little bit more, but it's just not really present. There's yeah, a lot well, of wasted time and energy. Yeah. But it's... If you've seen chapter one or the miniseries, like, you're going to want to watch this. Like, you're going to be like me. It's like, you know, it's not going to be as good, but you're still going to go along for the ride of it. Yeah. And I didn't feel that I was bored through it. And for some that lasted for as long as it did, like, yeah, it that's still probably kept my a, attention. That's probably an but achievement. Yeah, I was always just very aware of the fact that this film's going for quite a while and nothing's really happening. Fair enough. Um, I will probably never see it, but I am very much looking forward to rewatching you know the it's, original. It's probably a good sort of weekend couch. Yeah, yeah, watching yeah. the two of them back to back. Yeah, maybe one day. Yeah. And maybe it does hold up better than the miniseries did. It's been yeah. a while now. We should. Well, let's. That'll be another yeah. episode. Let's watch it and we'll, yeah. and we'll talk about it. I get the feeling, though, the performances from the first part definitely sort of still carry it through. Yeah, right. Well, very interesting. Mm. Um, so is that at the cinemas, cinema now? It is playing at your local Morskyplex. Excellent. I uh, haven't been to one for a while. And in fact, it's playing at your local drive-in as well. I noticed there was a screening last Saturday night. Oh, man. I'm trying to talk the family into going to the drive-in. That'd be so fun. Hold off for a couple more weeks because the best time to go to the drive-in is when it's like a balmy sort of evening. 
and you can get out a few deck chairs and sit around the car and not in the car. True, but then it gets. But then you've got to fight the. You've, you're fighting the later bedtime for the children. See, so, well, see, in Sydney we've got a Povo Cinema that will not <laughs> let you do a double feature. You have to pay to go and see one film, and then you have to drive out and come back into the second film. <laughs> Is that for real? What they yeah. do here? Do they actually make you drive out? Like well, I don't know if they make you drive out. out, but you have to buy a second ticket. That's nuts. Yeah. No double feature. No double feature. So your kids will be in bed by like right, 9 o'clock. Excellent. Let's do it. But also, when you're a little kid, you're supposed to fall asleep in the car. I know, I know. That's what I've been saying. That's part of the romance. Yeah. It's part of the joy of it all. It's exactly. very fun. Um, I look forward to that anyway. Where is that cinema? Uh, that's in Blacktown in Sydney. Yeah, awesome. Can't yeah. wait to go. Um, I've seen some great films at the drive-in over the years. I'd love to talk about that one day. Yeah. I was living in regional places where there was no cinema and had drive-ins far longer than the <laughs> far outside of the, the time when they still existed in the cities, I think. Yeah. Uh, best film you ever saw in the drive-in? Natural Born Killers. Really? See how quick that was? Yeah. Absolutely. I saw some great ones, but yeah, gosh. There, there was but never been a better drive-in movie. Me, my two, well, three biggest memories. Point Break, <laughs> Lethal pretty, Weapon 2. All right, these are pretty good. Milo and Otis. Uh, <laughs> got some issues with that one now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I've got a very fond memory of, as a kid, seeing maybe Superman 3 or Superman 4 at the cinema. Ooh. Okay, but I remember playing in like the pl- like swing set that was at the bottom of the screen and watching it going above. Fantastic. Great times. Uh, which is the one with Richard Pryor? Uh, that's Superman 3. I hope it was that one. I don't remember exactly. I just remember <laughs> Superman on the screen. <laughs> you didn't. You don't. Re- you weren't a big Richard Pryor fan when you were ten. I'm just not a big Superman three fan. Oh yeah, fair enough. Um, we've gone on too long. Uh, I'm the host this episode. It's my ju- duty to wrap it up. Um, you've been listening to the Always <laughs> Be Watching podcast. Um, you can uh, get. You can subscribe to Dan's newsletter. How do uh, people do that? Go to alwaysbewatching.com, put oh, yeah. in your email address, hit subscribe, off you go. Ever since you put it in, uh, you started sending it to the email account I actually read, I've been reading it quite a lot. <laughs> Every day almost. How's about that? It's pretty good. Um, lots of good stuff in there, Dan. Yeah. How long does that take? Uh, about an hour every day. Hmm. Um, <laughs> time well spent. Time well spent. Uh, you can also, uh, we've got a Facebook um, community, which is a group, which is a lot of fun and I really enjoy there and I like it when people get on there and um, criticize things that we've said uh, and find fault in our, in our, whatever whatever this is. I just having that one week. <laughs> I'd like more of it is what I'm well, saying. No one's I'm, listened I'm, since then. I'm inviting people, please criticize us um thanks very much for listening uh just a quick sort of advisory programming update for next week if you want to understand what the deal is with the new and up and coming streaming services so in the next month and a half we're going to see apple plus launch and you're also going to see disney plus launch we're going to give a bit of a rundown as to the programming and also how you can watch these things excellent i'm excited so we're doing that next week on always be watching the podcast (laughs) see you then dan bye chris (laughs) 